episode 27, Monday, November 28th. It is Cyber Monday version of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. In the studio, Jason Cooper, research analyst and a CFA charter holder. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And Trevor Nargis, senior trader at Annex Wealth Management in the Investment Committee. Welcome to you. Hey, guys. Trevor, I think a good place to start is upcoming economic data and coming off a holiday season. We have a lot of data points. So on, on the manufacturing side, we have the Chicago PMI, the Dallas Fed manufacturing survey coming out. And then when it comes to housing, we'll get some insight into the housing market with how the housing price index publication, mortgage apps, and pending home sales, which are expected to fall by 6.8%. But the big day is Friday, and the Fed is seeking to weaken bargaining power of labor as a tool to fight inflation. And we started to see some weakness in last week's initial jobless claims, which were up by 17,000 to 240,000. And we'll see if that trend continues for the November employment report. And we'll watch payrolls, the unemployment rate, and the participation rate closely. So Friday will probably be the most interesting day of the week. Yeah, and I think two things that I want to add to, I know we didn't put this in our notes, but I think what will be interesting in the coming weeks is looking at, and you know, Danny mentioned, you know, the Cyber Monday edition of the SWAT podcast here, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how the consumer shaped up given Black Friday deals and Cyber Monday deals. That'll be something super interesting to watch. Something else that we got too is, you know, we got a ton of Fed speakers this week. Everyone's really keeping a close eye on Jay Powell and what he has to say. So he'll be talking this week and maybe we'll get some sort of insight into what the Fed might do in their upcoming meeting as far as what they might be thinking for for rate hikes, if they're going to keep that at like the 75 basis point level or potentially slow that down. That comes back to the whole pause versus pivot. What is that? Uh, our, our colleagues, Dave Spano and Derek Felsky talked about that on Friday, but let's jump into it, right? So we're sitting here talking about the economy, but the, the stock market isn't the economy. Obviously, economy has been fairly strong this year, it hasn't necessarily translated exactly into what's been taking place in the equity market. Let's look at strengths first and foremost. So we've seen certain pockets of the market be strong this year. Obviously, the S&P being down as much as it has been, you have certain factors that have really taken a beating. But areas like small caps, particularly small cap value, and your dividend growers, your dividend payers, your dividend aristocrats, those have outperformed the S&P 500 since the start of this quarter and also year to date. Those names have done quite well. Some of the factors that contribute to that kind of outperformance are just going to be the shorter duration nature of like your dividend paying stocks. Translate that back to what's happened in the fixed income market. Your shorter duration fixed income is held up better over the course of the year. Things that are going to offer you a little more yield. So higher yield bonds have done better over the course of this year. The same thing has kind of been taking place in stocks as well. With small caps, we've talked about that for months now to kind of make sense of the outperformance there is you have those companies that are a little more insulated when it comes to global macro conditions and global inflationary pressures. Those companies are able to shore up a little more and just kind of focus on what's going on on the domestic end of things, and they can go from there. And then speaking of strengths, we, we, we continue to say that while the stock market is not the economy, and the U.S. economy had been a bit weaker in the first half of the year. Going into Q4, it looks like the Atlanta Fed GDP is forecasting that growth for the quarter could be just north of 4%. So that's looking pretty strong. On top of that, you have forward-looking inflation data uh, also coming down. You know, we're watching a ton of stuff on the team here. And then you also have kind of, you know, major research providers, major firms that are kind of seeing the same thing. So one thing that I thought was super interesting was um, Jeff Kleintop of Charles Schwab put out a really interesting chart last night kind of suggesting of 
kind of suggesting that some of the inflation that they've been seeing over in Europe has probably been more of a supply chain issue rather than a monetary policy issue. And so that kind of begs the question, well, does the ECB need to continue to be as aggressive as they have been? You know, with inflation coming down, with those pressures kind of easing, are we starting to not necessarily get an all clear, but are we actually getting some signs that things might not be as bad as anticipated? Yeah, that's that's a great point. And then turning it over to weaknesses, one area where we've been laser focused is valuations, especially up cap, uh, looking at earnings estimates, multiples, and the equity risk premium on certain areas of the market. Right now, the S&P 500 is trading at roughly 17.5 times earnings, both over the long-term trend as well as the typical multiple that we tend to see around the bottom and bear markets. That's obviously the million-dollar question. It brings us to the point of, has everything been priced in? Or have we seen the bottom? Are we going to continue to rally? At the end of the day, no one knows. But I think with this being a SWAT podcast, we need to look at both sides of that coin. Um, now, on one hand, you have a bleaker outlook for the economy and for earnings. The Fed continues to make it clear that they're going to raise rates that they really want to kind of help slow things down, kind of like you mentioned earlier, Jason. Another key thing to watch is that they are going to continue to unwind their balance sheet. That tends to be a headwind for companies because that puts pressure on asset prices and it helps to slow demand in general. So you kind of have both of these things working together, putting some more downward pressure on risk assets. You know, ultimately that comes back to the old adage of don't fight the Fed. Right. Um, and so, right, given the fact that a hawkish Fed has traditionally not been great for risk assets in this modern financial system. Yeah. And then earnings season, that was also a bit disappointing. Midway through November, the year-over-year earnings growth registered 2.2%. And that's against a backdrop of nearly 8% inflation. So you're looking at real earnings being down by approximately 6%. And in these higher inflationary periods, it's always important to think about what you're really getting. So real earnings growth being negative 6% was pretty poor. And that was skewed favorably by energy's tremendous earnings growth, which was up 137.3%. But looking at the broad market, there were only three other sectors that even registered positive earnings growth, including industrials, which were pretty strong, and real estate. That means about 70% of sectors had negative nominal earnings growth for the year, or on a year-over-year basis. And that's against a highly inflationary environment. So real earnings, in general, have been pretty poor. And with 55 out of 82 companies issuing guidance on the soft side, that's well below the five-year average, and it's indicative of weaker earnings ahead. And I think you make a great point there, because typically in high inflation environments, you actually see nominal earnings be higher, right? Because those those higher input costs are passed on to the consumer. Um, that tends to help profits kind of hold up a little better than they would in a, let's say, recessionary environment where inflation is low. So that nominal earnings growth kind of being weak, and then you couple that with the inflation aspect and real earnings being weak, it kind of brings us to what we've been talking about as a team is that we kind of think that those earnings estimates need to come down. Yeah, absolutely. And the trend has been down. Uh, I believe that earnings estimates peaked at about 250 for 2023 over the summer, and they're now down to 232. And our best guess is that they might need to go a bit lower as we get into the year, especially if economic growth deteriorates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we do kind of see some of those estimates come down, like we've been talking about, I think that definitely presents some opportunities. So let's kind of pivot into that, Jason. You can take it away. 
I think the listeners of the show might be surprised to hear that we're going to go out on a limb and say small caps are looking attractive. Uh, they continue to look cheap, even when taking a conservative approach to modeling out 2023 earnings. The valuation spread between small caps and large caps, the difference between the price to earnings ratio, combined with small cap underperformance to large caps over the last decade, it really makes it an attractive area. Small caps right now trade at about 12.9 times forward earnings, when they tend to trade closer to the mid to high teens. We've already seen earnings start to trend lower, but even in a recessionary event where you would expect a 20% hit to earnings, that would put small caps right now at 16 times next year earnings. And that's basically fair value. So we see a margin of safety at these prices and are pretty comfortable with a strategic allocation across our portfolios. And that's a little different than kind of what we're seeing as you move up cap. I mean, mid caps have done super well in the year. They do look a little rich at the moment. But, you know, you talked about us modeling out 2023 earnings in a conservative matter. When you start to do that as you move up cap, it starts to make it seem like there's a little more downside exposure there as opposed to the small cap space. And like you said, equity risk premiums across the spectrum, that's something that we look at nearly every day. It's the equity risk premium on small caps looks looks pretty attractive at the moment. I think we can also look into different areas and factors and pockets of the market that look attractive on a forward-looking basis, because despite the tough year and bleak outlook from many market pundits and larger firms, you know, many like big investors, many big names in financial media and whatnot, it, it seems like there's kind of been a throw the baby out with the bathwater approach when it's just been equities and certain factors in general. So on that note, there are areas of the equity space that look attractive despite the downside risks that might be present. So in the broader equity space, you know, we just talked about small caps, but you also have factors like dividend payers, given that they're short duration, we talked about that earlier, but then there's also, you know, certain styles or individual names that look attractive as well. So when I say throw the baby out with the bathwater, think of how large cap growth has performed this year, been quite poor relative to all your other size and style combinations. But there are attractive names in that space that they've really taken a beating because you have the combination of those companies really getting beaten down, but then you also have passive outflows kind of putting downward pressure on some of these larger darlings. But modeling out and looking at what those names are trading at on a forward earnings basis, I mean, for longer term investors, some of those names look quite attractive. And so, you know, it's not just individual names, but when you're looking at like dividend payers over the course of the next year or companies that really do a good job of generating free cash flow, those type of names are something that we're watching as well. And Trevor, I like that you're continuously referencing modeling and being cognizant of factors, because that's exactly what the Annex investment team is doing. And, and to be honest, I don't see a better setup for active management when you talk about opportunities. For the last decade, there's been a rush to passive management driven by the idea that most active managers will underperform. But what's the result of that? We've, we've just seen an increasingly concentrated S&P 500 and even Russell 1000, where every incremental dollar added acts as fresh powder for mega cap snowballs. And this was exacerbated by, you know, ZERP, so zero interest rates, quantitative easing, and depressed market volatility. But I think the market environment on a go-forward basis might be a bit different. We see higher rates, we see inflation, we see volatility across equities and fixed income. And the deeper down capitalization we get, so looking at some of these small cap names we're modeling, the more interesting and the more opportunities we're seeing. Not only do you have relatively and absolutely cheap securities, 
But some of the businesses that we own in our small cap portfolio and that we're closely monitoring, they're continuing to capture market share, expand their margins, and some of them are even expected to grow earnings into next year when the market by and large is seeing negative earnings revisions. And this is despite the fact that the economy is basically set up to potentially deteriorate. To Trevor's point again, active doesn't just mean individual assets or individual issues. Our team is monitoring appropriate factor exposures, sector tilts, anything that can be opportunistically expressed across our portfolios. Yeah, and it's not just on the equity side of things too. I mean, you know, we've touted equities a lot here so far, but there's definitely going to be some opportunities that present themselves in the fixed income space over the course of the next year. This has been one of the worst years on record for government bonds. I came across a pretty interesting chart yesterday just showing government bonds going back. I don't know how they got the data back this far, but going back to like the 1700s. Um, and this is going to be, I mean, we're on pace to have like the sixth worst year ever for government bonds, like the worst since 1949 with the Marshall Plan and all that. And so when you have those major sell-offs in fixed income, you know, it tends to, you know, the likelihood of higher future returns going down the road, that probability is just higher given that you have a lower starting point. You also have the investment grade space too. Investment grade bonds have really been beaten down. You know, we talk about longer duration, right? And companies that have really been kind of up that credit rating scale, they've really taken a beating because kind of as you move down the credit rating scale, you tend to get higher yields, right? Those higher yield bonds have performed better over the course of the year. But I think that there's going to be some opportunities in both the government bond and the corporate investment grade fixed income space. So we talked a lot about opportunities here, but let's wrap it up here with threats. Our, our final segment, Jason, what do you got? Shout out to whoever transcribed the data from parchment to fact set. Really appreciate that hard work. For threats, uh, maybe we could talk about multiple compression. We talked about how upcap, a lot of the names are trading at lofty levels. Well, if you have any degradation to earnings on a go forward basis, you can kind of think about what that means to future valuations. So the, the market would become more expensive. So the fact now that we don't really have a cushion under a lot of these large caps is a bit disconcerting and could provide a threat going forward. Yeah, and so that's the fundamental side of it too. Uh, another aspect that we monitor, our colleague Todd Voigt talks about how trading is and everything, but it's definitely still important. And so from the technical side of things, we are kind of starting to hit a key resistance level, which is the 200-day moving average. Markets really flirting with that 200-day moving average at the moment over the course of the year. It has had a hard time breaking through that, and when it has, it hasn't been able to hold it. Uh, so from a technical side of things, that might imply that there's some downside going forward. But on the on the bright side, that 200-week moving average has been a key level of support here over the long term. You know, we dip below it shortly, and then we've, we've seen the rally that we have as of late. So there's definitely that. We also are starting to see momentum indicators like relative strength and moving average convergence and divergence that's rolling over. So those are more momentum indicators kind of showing they, they highlight flows, they touch on price direction. We're starting to see that kind of roll over, which again, kind of suggests that there might be some downside here in, in the short term. I think another interesting thing to consider is that if you look at the 210 spread, so the two-year and the 10-year treasury, we've actually seen more downside in the broader index, so the S&P 500, when that yield curve starts to steepen again. So right now we're still seeing the yield curve invert a little further, but if and when that yield curve does start to steepen a little bit, 
that's actually over the course of history when markets have started to kind of sell off a little further. So I think that's something that's pretty interesting that we're going to need to watch going forward. Derek Felsky, our CIO, he, he's been highlighting that when you get that steepening, it can be driven by the Fed cutting rates. And why would they cut rates in this environment? It's because they're seeing a weakening in the economic conditions. So it, it would make sense in that environment that people might say, oh, well, the economy is deteriorating. The Fed actually has to step in and provide some liquidity. So maybe it's not the best time to own equities. Right, right. And that's not to say, you know, kind of talking, going back to what I said earlier, that there's always two sides of the coin. You know, we very well could have seen the bottom, right? The Absolutely. PE on the S&P 500 tends to bottom at around 13 to 14 times during bear markets. I mean, that's an average, right? We got down to as low as about 15 times over the course of the year. So we're factoring all that in, right? We're just trying to weigh certain things appropriately here. I think in international equities, let's let's touch on that real quick. I th- we were talking about this this morning, Jason, is that we really got to watch what's happening in China. There's been talks about reopening, but we've seen COVID cases on the rise again. You know, the Chinese government responded by tightening their COVID restrictions in cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and they also ordered mass testing. I've been surprised by the amount of anti-zero COVID policy protesting that we're seeing. I don't speak Chinese, so I'm forced to rely on internet to translate some of the videos that have leaked, which is a dangerous proposition, as, as we all know. But it seems that the protesters are explicitly protesting Xi Jinping and the CCP. Uh, it, it doesn't appear to be an isolated event, but something taking place across the country, Beijing, Shanghai, Xinjiang, where there was 10 deaths, actually, where people were still welded into their apartment complex, which caught fire in order to prevent the transmission of COVID. And we even saw a BBC journalist beaten and arrested at a protest in Shanghai over the weekend. So these events are probably the biggest mass protest since the Tiananmen Square massacre. And a couple of weeks ago, we were just talking about when would they reopen. And now we're asking ourselves, like, what the heck is going on? Why and how will this uncertainty impact the markets? Let's wrap things up, guys, with a quick round of headlines. Headline strength. Short duration and cash generating securities. Headline weakness. Valuation and earnings conditions for the S&P 500. What's our headline opportunity? Time to get active in small caps and investment grade credit. Headline threat. What's happening in China? Trevor Nargis, senior trader. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Jason Cooper, research analyst, CFA, charter holder. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.